What's going on, guys? My name is David Gibson. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast, a podcasting resource dedicated to telling these stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. I hope you all are doing well. I know that we just had a ton of rain the past few days. Um, I was kind of, in a sense, stranded um, here, here at my apartment. We're kind of on a downhill slope, and there's a little bit of a marshland uh, at the bottom of the hill. Um, in our complex and um, on either side of the road, uh, both to my left and right, it was overflowing. Luckily, they had some pretty great irrigation uh, towards the bottom of where we live. But um, it, if we wanted to get out, I'm sure we could have, but I just prefer not to in that sense. Um, the, uh, the county actually just to our east, Warwick, has declared a disaster as well as my home county of Jefferson here in Indiana. Uh, it even affected the weekend we had as far as baseball is concerned. We were supposed to host five teams, but ended up just four, including us. And uh, nonetheless, they were some amazing games. Actually, our first game, we were down six to nothing uh, and only to rally in the bottom of the ninth to win seven to six. And that was our first one of the season. And, and we kind of did it again the uh, very next day on Monday. Uh, we were supposed to have it Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but I moved to Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, we were down... I think by a run or two, uh, again, in like the eighth or something, rally, came back, bottom of the eighth, and then shut out the first three batters um, in the top of the ninth. So that was probably one of the, some of the most impressive comebacks I've ever seen in, uh, in person as far as baseball is concerned. But I want to turn you guys' attention now to something that I talk about every week, and that's rating and reviewing. It helps our audience grow and to get the show more, more recognized so that more and more SIDs out there can benefit from this podcast. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at Sports Infocast and Twitter and Facebook. You can email me anytime, sportsinfocast at gmail.com. Now on to today's guest. We have uh, Andy Seeley from UCF on the pod. Andy, as some of you may know, served as Cositis president up until last summer. Uh, he'll also detail his times at the D2 level to Minnesota and Utah. And if you haven't heard, uh, UCF declared themselves national champions of football, and it was fun to have a, a great deal of this episode actually dedicated to the strategy and implementation of that campaign. He'll actually go through what they physically talked about in the room. Uh, I, I really, really did enjoy that. So um, we'll start off to episode 66 of SIDcast with Andy Seeley of the UCF Knights and his very first tapes of sports information right here on SIDcast. back to high school, I, I um, blew my knee out playing high school football and ended up playing golf my senior year because it was the only sport I could manage with my knee the way it was, and uh, met a guy that I played football against the year before. Uh, we got paired up two or three times together, I think it was about three times together throughout the course of the golf season. First tournament was, oh, hey, yeah, I think you were the nose guard and I was the center and yada yada, and then the next tournament, it was, hey, where are you going to school? Oh, I'm going to Northwest Missouri also. And then the next tournament, it was, hey, we're both going to Northwest, right? What dorm did you ask for? Well, I asked for Frank and Hall. And so, so did I. And we ended up being two doors down from one another. Well, I tell that story because he's the guy that got into sports information from the standpoint of he got a student work job uh -huh. uh, typing play-by-play. For basketball games that's how old i am we we actually typed the play-by-play -play when i got started in this 
on a typewriter nonetheless. Oh, boy. Um, anyway, at the semester, he decided to uh, join the National Guard and went off to, to boot camp and asked me if I would cover the rest of the season uh, for his job. And I said, yeah, no problem. Sounds fun. And uh, by the end of the season, between the SID and me talking, I found out that he didn't have anybody to do public address for baseball that next that coming spring. Uh, I had done some public address work in high school for basketball because I didn't play basketball. I said, you know, I would take a crack at it. Did that. By the next fall, he had handed me cross country and said, hey, here's your sport. You're going to do all of cross country. And I was a full-time student in the sports information office. And it didn't take long for me after that to realize, wow, I didn't even know this was a thing. And now I'm looking at a potential career that this could be a lot of fun. So um, honestly, had I not blown my knee out playing high school football, I don't know if I would be an SID right now. That's just crazy how some of those things work. Yeah, my story's kind of similar. I, uh, I actually got stress fractures on both my legs. I kind of turned into brakes. And then I figured out, hey, there's a whole other side of this. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then the you... ironic piece to, for me, for me, the ironic piece to that is, is my parents owned a newspaper growing up. So I was in, now it's a small weekly hometown newspaper in my hometown town of 2000, but I was actually in the media doing things. I was writing for the newspaper. In fact, I have the unique, uh, or maybe rare, uh, experience of actually covering games that I played in. So that was interesting. Um, <laughs> But having come from a media background and, you know, small town, small media, didn't even know that athletics communications existed even then. Uh, it was not until I got to college. But Yeah, so, and I don't mean to kind of hit you with another kind of hard question here, but how do you think, what is the best way we can educate sort of people like that? Because uh, you and me and the 60-some-odd other people that I've spoken to uh, didn't know that this was a profession. What do you think the best way to educate the undergrad, maybe high school students, would be? Yeah, I know uh, I know. COSIDA as a board, we've talked about that a fair amount, about how do we get the word out, how do we make sure that, that more young people are aware of the profession. We've kind of been more focused on undergrads and, and recruiting in college and those sorts of things. And I think... Um, Anytime we can get out on campus, talk to the journalism classes, talk to the PR classes, and just in that recruiting of students, um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. I know I've worked at a lot of places where uh, it was it varied from one place to another how aggressively you went out and recruited student workers. I mean, we try to do our best to get student workers in here, and my feeling is once you get them in, then you can start to kind of educate them on what it is but yeah getting out and going and talking to classes um there's a a few different programs within COSADA that, that we've tried to get going as well so uh but no I agree it's a it's certainly a, a I don't know if it's a problem but it's an issue that we need to continue to address is attracting younger people to this profession awesome we may get into some of that a little bit later uh but well, let's get back to some of your background now so yeah. you actually got started in your career with USA Roller Sports um Andy, I kind of pride myself on knowing some of the organizations, but I have to admit, I don't know what USA Roller Sports is. Could you uh, kind of just expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, so I graduated from Northwest Missouri State, and I'm looking for my first job, and I've got um, a handful of 
um, resumes out there, probably about 50 resumes um, to all levels of, of college athletics for sports information jobs. And uh, again, I'm going to show my age here a little bit. Lo and behold, my, my dad calls me. My, my folks lived right outside of Lincoln, Nebraska. And my dad's reading the classified ads in the Lincoln newspaper. This is back when people still found jobs in the newspaper. And he said, hey, I see a job listed here for sports information. And I said, oh, is it at Nebraska? He said, no. I said, okay, Nebraska Wesleyan? No. Uh, Union College? No. Well, what is it? Well, it's USA Roller Sports. And I said, what is that? <laughs> and um, so I, I did a little bit of research, looked into it, found out that it was the national governing body that, that uh, oversees the sport of roller skating, whether it be roller hockey, uh, figure skating, or speed skating. So basically the way I describe it to people is that uh, if, and this is good timing because the Winter Olympics are on right now, if you see it in the Winter Olympics on ice, our athletes did the same thing just on wheels, whether it be inlines or the old quad four-wheeled skates. Um, it was a great first job. It was awesome. Uh, had a lot of a lot of really cool experiences. Got to travel all over the country a little bit, uh, outside the country. And uh, while I always knew that I wanted to be in uh, the college space, you know, you got to get your foot in the door somehow and, and start your career. And I was fortunate enough that that was uh, the first one, uh, the first opportunity I had. And then you were able to kind of come back to Northwest Missouri State. What did it mean for you to come back to your alma mater in that sort of position? Um, it was, it was my dream job, honestly. I mean, I got into the, I got into the whole thing, um, from my experience at Northwest. Um, the SID became a great friend. The, uh, the, the radio guy, uh, that, that we traveled with both all the, all the radio folks, the members of the media, we did a thing in Northwest when I was a student where the SID drove either a car or oftentimes like a van from the from the motor pool at the university and took the radio guys and picked up the local reporter and the reporter from down the road and we all rode to the games together and that was just that was so much fun anytime I got to go on one of those trips that honestly that was one of the things that I was like this is this is so cool I get to hang out with all these guys talk sports for an entire road trip go to the game, get paid to, to be involved in the game, and all that sort of thing. Um, so when I got a chance to go back to my alma mater, I mean, obviously it was a, a place that was very important to me, um, and and it was the job that I wanted uh, when I decided to get into this profession. So being able to do that at just 27 years of age um, was, was a little... Um, it was a little overwhelming when I look back at it. I don't think I knew it at the time, though. You know, I was too yeah. dumb to know yeah. that I was overwhelmed. Um, but I was honored, thrilled to, to be able to represent my, my alma mater. Did so for seven years. Maryville, Missouri, Northwest Missouri State are are like my hometown. They're my adopted hometown. And um, so, yeah, the opportunity to, to work at your alma mater is not something that everybody gets to do. And it, and it was really cool. And plus, we were really good. So that was a lot of fun, too. We won two football national championships while I was there and uh, went to two elite eights in basketball while I was there. So uh, lots of lots of great memories of my, my uh, first college SID job being at, at Northwest Missouri. And then the uh, Utah job came open. So uh, what about it? Did it make you want to leave your dream job in a sense? 
Um, well, there's a there's an interesting story to that. So, it, and maybe this is something that that we can talk through um, a little bit in in the sense of what it's like to be able to, to have a work life balance and a family and all those sorts of things in this profession. But it was actually my wife at one point um, said to me, I don't know, probably about four years into our time in, in Maryville, she said, so what's your career goals? And I said, well, I have my dream job, so I don't know if I have career goals. And she's like, well, you're 30. Like, <laughs> are you, gonna, you know, is this, is this it? You know, and, and I gave it a fair amount of thought and we kind of talked through some things and I said, you know, I, I went to school in division two, but I grew up in Nebraska. I was a big Husker fan. I, I went to games and, uh, and I said, you know, the division one thing from a standpoint of being a fan was always interesting to me. Um, maybe, maybe what I want to do is see if I can take my crack at, at division one and, and potentially maybe get to run my own department at the division one level. And, um, so not too long thereafter, I, I started kind of putting out applications and feelers and sending out resumes to uh, jobs that were interesting um, in the Division One space. And the, uh, the Utah position uh, was intriguing. I had already been to Salt Lake City because I went and volunteered and worked at the Olympic Games in Salt Lake in 2002. So I knew a little bit about Salt Lake. Um, and... It was a it was a really great opportunity. I had an awesome boss, Liz Abel, uh, who really kind of helped me. It's funny. I was just emailing back and forth with her yesterday and telling her how much I owe my career and where I'm at right now to her tutelage and, and her mentorship of me uh, as a small college guy coming to the Division One ranks. Um, and and I tell people this story all the time too. I took a seven thousand dollar pay cut to do that. Uh, because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to give the whole Division One thing a crack and, and kind of see where things where things went in my career because of it. And I was fortunate in that um, in that my wife had a good job at the time financially. Taking that taking that step back in pay was doable for me. Um, but I I tell people all the time that hey sometimes you have to uh, take a step back to take a couple of steps forward in this career sometimes and. I think that's kind of what I did in, in going to Utah. And then I had a just an absolutely great experience there. Um, my football experience at Northwest Missouri, having worked at a high-level D2 where we actually did have a fair amount of interest and media coverage and those sorts of things, quickly made, made Liz realize that she wanted me to work more closely with football at Utah. So that was a quick uh, – I went from an assistant SID that – was working with a couple of sports to an assistant SID that was working with a couple of sports and the secondary football contact <laughs> and um, was able to work with a highly successful women's basketball program at Utah that really kind of showed me the ropes very quickly of, um, of a, a sport that was getting media attention at that level. And so I was able to learn a lot of things there. And um, yeah, it, it was a, a great experience. And what were some of the, uh, the differences that you kind of noticed uh, other than the level of play, I can imagine between being at the Division Two level versus being at the Division One level. Depending on the sport, there's certainly uh, a different amount of media interest. Um, it was also a big change for me um, going from a, a town of ten thousand to a, a metropolitan area like Salt Lake City. So 
just the media market was uh, was a big change for me too. Now that's not always the case. Sometimes you're, yeah. you're at a major college in a in a small media market, but that for me that was a big change as well. Um, getting used to the media market, all those sorts of things. Um, and then it was just the idea that I didn't have to do it all anymore. I could I could actually focus and learn more of the um, the media relations piece of it, the communications piece of it. I could I could um, you know take some time and be a little bit more creative with whether it be a game program or something I was doing with my notes or um, story pitching. You know, we didn't do a ton of all that sort of stuff in um, in Division Two at Northwest. And I didn't. Now I'm, I'm fortunate. I feel like coming from a place like Northwest, where we were highly successful and fairly um, widely known at the Division Two level, did help prepare me for that jump um, because we did we we did a fair amount of media relations, especially as it surrounded football and basketball. But um, yeah, I mean, those were a few of the things. It was it was definitely eye-opening to me to realize that when I only had two or three sports to focus on how much more time I could devote to them as opposed to trying to do um, just the basic nuts and bolts for everything when you're in a 15, 16 sport department in a one-man band or a, or a two-man office if you if you count the graduate assistant. Um, and it kind of phrasing the same question for you a little bit as with the Utah job, going to Minnesota, uh, how'd you get the job? You know, same old, same old. So, um, I realized pretty quickly that, um, I really enjoyed the division one thing. And, and so while I was at Utah, my, my career goal kind of solidified in that, yeah, I, I do want to try to sit in the director's chair at a, at a major college. And I knew in order to do that, and I'm a football guy and I knew in order, in order to do that, I wanted to work at a football school if I could. And so in order to, to get to that position, I was going to have to work as the primary contact for football because most, most jobs like mine currently, um, you're going to be the, the primary football contact. Now, ironically, when I got here, I wasn't, um, but we can get into that anyway. Um, so I started looking for football positions and I actually turned down a couple of jobs that, um, would have been the heads of, of departments at a um, little bit smaller schools that would have also been working with football. They just weren't the right fit for me at the, at the time. And I think that's an interesting thing for people to remember too in this in this career is you don't if you've got a job you don't have to take the next one if it's not the right fit. You gotta you've got to really be selective and think about how it's going to help you and your career and your family or whatever the case may be. Um, one of them I turned down because it wasn't the right fit. They were asking me to probably do about the, the job of two or three people. The other one I turned down because it just wasn't right for my family. Um, but the Minnesota job came open, and uh, my wife had family in Minnesota. It was back closer to the Midwest where we were from, um, and it's you know working football in the Big Ten. And uh, and I you know I was fortunate enough to to go through the interview process and and be offered that position I you know I, how did I get that job I have no idea the only good story or the only good uh, the only good memory I have of that job and the interview process and getting it was I had been telling my son uh, that you know that I, I applied for this job and I was kind of hopeful about it and it sounded maybe a little bit promising after a, uh, a phone interview 
And then literally there was about a month or two where I didn't hear back from them. And he and I were actually on the ski slopes out in Utah. And I was telling him on the, on the lift, on the chairlift up the mountain, I said, you know, that whole Minnesota thing I was telling you about, I, I guess it's not going to happen. Like it, I haven't heard back from them and all that sort of thing. And, and, uh, no sooner than I'm halfway down the next run and my phone started buzzing in my pocket of my snow pants and it was Minnesota calling to ask me to come do an in-person interview. So, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was a matter of just being strategic about what is the, what is the next right step in my career. Right. And what's kind of job seeking like, and for those who haven't really done that, where you have to align career goals, you have to align family goals, and you're also trying to become, you know, your, your next dream job where you want to be. You know, for me, the, the key, and, and it's different with, probably with everybody, but for me, the key has always been um, communication with my wife, at least from the, from the family end of it. Um, we, we talk all the time. I've, I've had a couple of opportunities to do things a little bit different uh, or, or to move on uh, since we've been here at UCF, and she's always been great about being willing to move and, and um, you know, take one for the team in my career, that sort of thing. And for the first time in ever, she, you know, kind of put her foot down this time. And, and that's fine because I'm in a great spot. Um, I was, you know, I was interested in a, in a couple of positions that I probably could have had or the one that was probably going to happen. And, um, but, you know, you've got to, you've got to, if you're, if you're going to have a family in this profession, that communication piece is key. I mean, uh, my first marriage ended in large part due to my career lifestyle, let's put it. Um, so when I met Jill, when I met my wife, who we just celebrated our 20th anniversary uh, in late December, um, on our second date, I explained to her exactly what my life was like and could be like, and um, and I because I didn't want another relationship to end because of that. I said, you know, you just need to know this up front. But that's that just goes to show that I think that communication has been there from the beginning, and that's that's important. Um, from a career standpoint, I I just think it's it's a matter of knowing knowing what your goals are, and and understanding whether that next job and that one that that is uh, either one that you're considering applying for or or maybe it's been offered is that is that going to be in line with what you were trying to do and where you're trying to go. Yeah, it might be $5,000 more a year, or uh, it may seem like um, a great opportunity to go work at school X, Y, or Z, but is it really going to be what's best for you uh, in the long run? And, and if you've got kind of that strategic viewpoint on it, um, and and there again, I, I give Jill, my wife, a, a ton of credit on that because we would talk through those things too, and she's um, – She's worked in, in staffing and in HR a little bit, so maybe that a little bit of that background kind of helped with that as well. But um, it's really all just about um, making sure that you're doing the next thing that's that's right for you and not chasing a title or not chasing a little bit of extra money. Uh, and we'll get, go back to some of your, your experience here a little bit. Love what you're saying, by the way. I'm sure it rings home for a lot of different people. So, But how did you get the job at UCF? I mean, we, I mean, same kind of question. But how, did it, how does it feel to finally, like you said, you wanted to be a head of a department. How does it feel to finally be in that chair? So 
you know, when I when I got the job, it was, you know, I mean, again, it was kind of that, that as we're talking about, kind of the fulfillment of a, I wouldn't say a lifelong dream, but a fulfillment of a goal, and so that's always a good feeling. Um, I was fortunate um, that my my boss, the uh, the senior associate AD that, that hired me, uh, Zach Lasseter, Zach and I had worked together at Utah. Zach was in charge of ticketing uh, at Utah while I was a lowly assistant SID, and um, so there was, there was a connection there, but... Um, what I always tell people is I feel like we were, I was kind of right in the, in the sweet spot for him. One, I prepared myself. I'd done everything I needed to get the job. Um, but there was enough of a familiarity with, with me for him that he knew people who could speak to, that he trusted, that could speak to my talents and my abilities. He also knew me somewhat from being in the same department, although we worked in different buildings and didn't really kind of run in the same crowd. I and mean, we, you know, worked in the same athletic department. So clearly we knew each other, but we weren't like, it's not like we were boys, you know? Right. Yeah. So it wasn't like he was just hiring his guy. Uh, but I was, you know, it's so like, I, like I said, I, in my opinion, I kind of hit that sweet spot for him, but I, but um, I still had to get the job. I still had to interview and, and it wasn't like, Oh, this is, he's, he's my guy. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to make it out to be that either. Uh, and then the the athletic director at the time, Todd Stansberry, was the ultimate hiring authority. And so I remember going through the interview process and being very impressed with Todd and his vision, Zach, and and his vision about collaboration and how the how the communications field meshes with the marketing field, how all the external units kind of work together. And, uh, and that's something that in the five and a half years I've been here at UCF that we've prided ourselves on is that collaborative thing. Um, I think it was also um, it was also helpful for me in that I had been at a place like Utah where we had um, where we had been on the outside looking in as a member of the Mountain West Conference, but busted the BCS did all those certain those sorts of things where we um, always did more with with less and then I came from a division two background where I had to do everything and wasn't afraid to roll my sleeves up and get my hands dirty and those sorts of things um, so I think all the all the experiences I had and all the preparation I'd done and my work ethic and all those sorts of things really rolled together to, to make me a good fit for this department um, based on what UCF is, what we're trying to do, who we're trying to be. I mean, that's exactly who we are. We walk around with a chip on our shoulder. We believe that we're as good or better than any of the so-called Power Fives. And that's why I love our conference's Power Six narrative, honestly. Um, and we pride ourselves on doing more with less. And, uh, and so my background, I think, really fit into that. Now, on the flip side of your question... Um, how did I feel? I was elated. I was thrilled. I was, you know, but then I was also like, oh my gosh, this is the first time I'm going to manage a staff. Uh-huh. You know, I had, I had run my own shop at, at Northwest, but, and I'd managed people, but I was managing a graduate assistant and a handful of, uh, a handful of students. I wasn't managing full-time people. And I, um, so that was, uh, a new experience and something that, that took some getting used to for me, and there were growing pains there. Um, not going to lie to you, 
my first year in this role, uh, I didn't do a very good job, honestly. I was I was trying to learn how to manage, how to be an administrator, what it meant, and I, I came in and tried to do too much, quite honestly. And there were people that what I needed to realize is there were people here who were already good at their jobs and needed me to be an advocate for them and needed me to help them where I could, as opposed to needing me to micromanage and overmanage them. And so that's really shaped my, uh, my management style and how I work with people in that regard. Um, now when I hire people, I tell them I'm not going to micromanage you. I want somebody that's plug and play. I don't want to have to hold your hand, those sorts of things. And those are some of the things that I learned in that first year. I mean, I, I'll be completely honest. I don't know that I've ever told people this in public or not, but I was, I was depressed that first year. It was, it was hard. It was a hard transition. Change is hard anyway. Um, and, and you know, I had some relationships that I had to manage um, that I needed to figure out how to how to be a manager and how to how to run a department and be successful. And um, not ashamed to admit that I went and, and did about five or six therapy sessions and and talked through it. And actually, uh, it was it was a really big deal for me to to break through that that insecurity or that uneasiness about about management and about you know, um, just the, the change, it was such a big change. I had always lived in the Midwest and always, it seems like such a trivial thing, but I'd always had seasons and now I'm in Florida and it's, I love it here. But, um, at the time I thought, you know, I was, I was blaming the weather. I was blaming this and that. And, uh-huh. and, and, uh, so, but I'm, I'm blessed and fortunate that, that I had bosses who, and, and supervisors who understood and who are willing to help me work through it and, and get to the point where I am now. And I, and by no means am, am I perfect, but I, I think my staff would, would tell you that, that I'm a pretty decent manager now. So, um, long winded rambling answer, but, um, but, uh, that's what podcasts are for, right? Yeah, that's it. Hey, you've got the definition nailed down. So that's fantastic. Andy, I'm, I'm very happy to hear it. Um, you guys, and this may piss some people off, but I really don't care. National champions. What was the strategy behind doing all that sort of thing? Uh, it's easier to crash a party than it is to throw a party, right? Yeah. Um, we, we're, I'm really proud of what we were able to do um, with that narrative. I mean, um, first of all, I'm really, really proud of what that football team did, what, what they did, and, and I will quote Scott Frost, our, our former head coach, what they did wasn't improbable. It was darn near impossible. And, and to, to go from, to go from 0 and 12 in 2015 to a bowl team in 16 to undefeated and claiming a national championship at 17 is it's, well, it's never been done. You've never, nobody's ever gone from 0 and 12 or winless to undefeated like that in major college football in the course of two years. So, what they did, absolutely incredible. Um, but from a from a communication standpoint, a PR standpoint, marketing, all those all those pieces, uh, it's funny that this is a good object lesson in um, in being flexible. It's a good object lesson in um, 
knowing when you weren't right. Um, it's a it's a good object lesson in uh, being able to pivot quickly. Um, so just to to go back, so before before any big game, before any championship or bowl game or NCAA tournament, those sorts of things, we'll get together as a staff, whether it's uh, me, Dan Forcello, my director of communications, Eric DeSalvo, who runs our social media, um, Jimmy Skiles, who runs our fan development marketing area, um, a number of us on the external side of things. We'll get together and we'll talk about, okay, what what do we do for a win? What do we do for a loss? What do we do to make if we make a good run in this tournament? All these all these different scenarios, right? right? So before the Peach Bowl, we had a discussion of, okay, when we win this game, if we win this game, how are we playing this? Are we going to call ourselves national champions? Are we going to go after the college football playoff committee, which we were doing all throughout the year with regard to the rankings? Um, and, and where I landed and where we ultimately landed as a group was, hey, Let's go after the process, right? So we had a couple of graphics, a couple of motion graphics made up that when we won the game, it was going to be, we were playing off the, the college football playoff who's in thing. So we had the who's in, and then the screen ripped, and it, and it in the same font, said who's next, and showed the UCF logo. Um, then the, the second piece to that was we took a bracket, and we took the four teams that were playing in the semifinals of the CFP, and we were going to win. Since those semifinals were after our game, we were going to wait, and, and we developed one for each scenario of who won the games. And then the idea was after those two games, we were going to show those two on one side of the bracket and then scan over to show UCF with a defeating Auburn on our side of the bracket and, uh, and make it clear that, hey, we should have got a crack at this thing. Well, fortunately, we had also discussed what we would do if we decided to claim the national championship. Uh, maybe not as in-depth because we eventually landed on not going there. Well, fast forward to the game and we win and we have our athletic director on the field on a Facebook Live or a Periscope, whatever, a live broadcast on our social media platform and he looks in the camera and he noticed the, the three words, national champs, undefeated. And by the end of the night, we were all of a sudden in a national championship campaign and calling ourselves national champions. And I was in a meeting the next day going, okay, we're all in on this thing. And we're putting up signage and we're um, calling ourselves national champions on, uh, on our social media platforms. And we're... Um, going to have a parade at Disney World and we're going to have a downtown celebration and we're going to ask anybody who wants to to present us with uh, with uh, with trophies and, and <laughs> proclamations, etc. Well, um, that all happened really, really quickly. And I mean, even to the point of, so in that meeting, it's it's the athletic director and, and I don't know, probably six, seven, eight others of us. And uh, somebody asked the question about um, coaching bonuses. And I said, well, I've got their contract. I've got the contract right on my desktop. I can run down to my office and grab it. So I ran down and grabbed it. And sure enough, it didn't say CFP. It didn't say um, anything other than just national champions. 
And I sat in there and I said, well, if we're going to claim this and we don't want it to be a publicity stunt and we wanted people to truly believe that, that we believe this, I said, we're going to have to pay these championship bonuses. And without blinking, Danny said, all right, let's do it. Because his whole thing from the beginning was this wasn't about publicity. It wasn't just about about poking at the at the bear and and uh, trying to point out the you know inherent bias or whatever you want to call it within the system, but also we beat the team that beat the teams, and we're the only team in college football that is undefeated. Normally in a college football season, at every other level, if you win your last game and you're undefeated, you're a national champion. Yep. So um, so we quickly pivoted to the idea of our kids deserve the recognition of, of being national champions. They did everything they were asked to do, and they didn't have the opportunity to play for the CFP championship. So why not? And and then I also went back and I did the research. There are, I believe it was 36 instances where more than one team was named national championship through the history of college football. There were three or four years where they were – uh, three or four teams that have claimed national championships. Alabama has gone back and retroactively claimed one from 1941. So there's, it's not like this is an unprecedented. Uh, yeah, a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we we had had some discussions ahead of time. So we had some idea of the direction we wanted to go. Uh, but we're also um, really good at being nimble and and you know kind of flipping our, our script on a dime and um, our graphics people got logos out quickly and and uh, and we were able to really take advantage of it and you know I mean shoot it's it's February 13th and I still see on I mean my Twitter timelines up on my other screen every once in a while I'll still see something about national championship I mean it's it's um, from the from a purely marketing PR perspective it's been huge but where it really came from was a true belief in that our kids deserve that recognition. Yeah, and even, <clears throat> excuse me, across the bottom, I, I could uh, see the tweets, like you mentioned, of your guys' Twitter feed that says our national title defense looks something like this. So, yeah, so going strong with it. Uh, I, I loved every second of it. So If you're going to be all in on something, you got to be all in on it. Exactly, yeah. And that's, that's what I was happy I about. That's, that's one big takeaway from this that other people can take away from how we've done this is, Again, anywhere from paying out $300,000 worth of coaching bonuses to, you know, ponying up to put a sign on a stadium to creating new graphics for our field wraps to, uh, as you're talking about, we just announced our schedule today and uh, and making sure that we continue the narrative by saying, hey, here's, the, here's our title defense. Here's what it looks like, you know. So, yeah, go all in. Yeah, perfect. Um and there's a few more things I, w- I want to get to before we got to move on, but you were a uh, COSIDA president. Uh, how'd you get involved first with COSIDA? And I mean, how did you get to that president seat before we get into other things? So go all the way back to, you know, we were talking about my time at Northwest Missouri. That first year, my first year as a college SID, I started two weeks into the football season and had to hit the ground running. And I got, I got through that year and I was, feeling all full of myself and I'm like oh I, I just killed it like we everything went great you know and then I went to Cosida and I'll never forget it was in Spokane Washington and within about a few hours of going to different workshops and different panels and things I realized I didn't know the half of what it was I was supposed to be doing I thought that you know that first year that I got um 
all the stats out right, and I created a media guide for every sport, and I nailed it, you know. Uh, um, <laughs> and I so honestly, I I came back from my first convention absolutely energized about yeah, I've got a lot more that I can do, a lot more that I can learn in this profession, and I can be good at this. And um, so early on, my exposure to Cosida with through the convention, um, and and uh, and I had a great mentor back in back when I first went to the first couple of conventions we had they had rookie rookie veteran panels I think they called it and those of us who were new would go in and get to ask questions of some of the veterans in the in the field and I met a guy by the name of Greg Goings and and uh, Greg took me under his wing at that first convention and kind of showed me the ropes a little bit and made me feel welcome and comfortable and all that and and so it didn't take long for me after being in the profession for a while to go, you know, I want to give back to this organization because I truly, had I not gone to convention that first year, I don't know if I would have lasted in the profession because I think eventually I would have realized that I didn't know what I was doing. And and I, I learned so much and it made such an impact on me uh, and my career that, I, like I said, I just, I don't know if I'd have made it. So... At, at some point, that realization set in, and then I said, you know, I want to give back to this organization that has given so much to me through through my, the early part of my career. So two or three or four times, I don't, I don't remember the number now, I either threw my own hat in the ring or somebody nominated me for a board spot, and I didn't get it. And finally, by the time I got here to UCF, I'd kind of given up on that. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm on the scholarship committee. I love doing what we're doing there. I think it's probably the second most important committee we have behind Academic All-America. Uh -huh. um, love the fact that we're able to help people get to convention and learn and, and be able to afford some things, maybe send some other people to school, those sorts of things. But I just kind of had said, you know what? That 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 way of giving back to COSIDA isn't going to happen for me. And, uh, and then at some point... Shortly thereafter, I got a phone call from Justin Doherty at Wisconsin, who I got to know through, we worked at the same venue at the Olympics in Salt Lake, and uh, and we had stayed in touch, and Justin said, hey, so that you, are you still interested in, in being on the board? And I said, well, I'd kind of given up on it, but of course I want to give back if I can. And he said, well, I want to nominate you for the third vice president role. And I was like, say what? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I said, well, I, I've always said I wanted to get back, so I'll jump into it with both feet and 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 take it on if I get if I get elected. And um, you know, I got a, a phone call that that said, yeah, it looks you know pretty promising, and but it wasn't going to be finalized until later that summer at the at the board meeting, and um, then got that official um, phone call, and it's it's been an absolutely uh, incredible experience for me to be able to give back to our membership and be able to serve our membership. And I just, I, I told anybody who would listen that, that I viewed it as the, the, the organization is really healthy. It's in a great place. Um, my job was just to keep the train on the tracks. Perfect. Yeah. And I still remember I was at, uh, I was in Orlando actually for the uh, COSIDA convention last summer. And I still remember kind of your farewell speech. So, um, I don't know, pretty cool moment. And uh, But what would you say to people that maybe don't really take advantage of their membership? Maybe they don't get as in-depth or as involved. Maybe they're just having a membership for the sake of having a membership. Uh, I mean, what would you say to those people? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many things that, that your professional organization can offer you from a, from a professional development standpoint. We've got webinars every month that, that just get on the COSADA website or look on COSADA Connect or get on our social media platforms, any number of places that you can find out where those opportunities to learn are. Talk to your boss about going to the convention and, and doing that networking and that professional development. The convention, a lot of people just view COSADA as, well, we have our convention and I have to be a member because I need to be able to nominate and vote on Academic All-America. And yes, that's certainly true in that you, you that that is a big piece of the membership is that Academic All-America piece. But there, again, there's so much more to it. Get involved in a committee if you want to be able to give back. We've got any number of committees that we're always looking for people who want to, who want to be involved in those. Um, take advantage of an organization that is there to help you get better at your job and at your profession. And there, again, there's just innumerable ways to, to do that. And, and by all means, look me up. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody and, and everybody about how that, how the organization can get better, how it can help you. If you have questions, how do I get involved? Any of those sorts of things, I would love to talk to people. Mentorship's a big deal to me. I started uh, the, the COSADA mentorship program. Um, I think we're in, a, in the third or fourth year now of that and, and uh, gotten a lot of really good positive feedback. I'd love to get even more people involved in that. And uh, whether it's a, as a part of that program and, and being kind of that formal program or even just in the sense of I mentor people all the time. Anybody and everybody that reaches out to me in one way or another to ask about the profession, I offer to have a phone call or if they're local, I offer to go get coffee or sit and talk because, and especially with the younger group like we were talking about before, uh -huh. it's uh -huh. important to me to, to continue to, to have this profession move forward and keep people in it and attract good people to it. And uh, so I, I yeah, I'm, I'm kind of passionate if you can't tell about our professional organization. Yeah, and you kind of took my next question, too, about the mentorship program. But um, I would like to move to this part of the interview where I like to ask some fun questions. Uh, first one I have for you, Andy, is favorite memory. What's that? I'm fun, so that's, that's good. Let's roll. Perfect. Glad to hear it. So the first question I have He's for not, you. I think I am. My wife might disagree. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. Uh, what's your favorite memory? Favorite memory tied to the profession? Yeah, sure. Probably... Gosh, I mean, I've been doing this for a while, so there's a lot of things that pop into my head, but um, probably two things. Um, one, getting offered the job at Northwest Missouri because that was my dream job, and I had been passed over for it once prior to that. Um, and there's a great story about that. So um, I, I, it's, it was Labor Day, actually. I, I'll never forget that. I'd been out at the lake with my son, and I came home, and my wife said that, that Dr. Jim Red, the athletic director in Northwest Missouri, had called, and immediately I'm like, nervous as can be, because he's either calling to offer me the job or tell me I didn't get it. And uh, so I called him back and get offered the job, and I get off the phone, and I'm, I'm celebrating and, and just thrilled. And, you know, my wife at the, at the time was my girlfriend. We had just moved in together. And, uh, and I said to her, I said, now, I gotta take this. You understand that? Like this is the this is the my dream job, and and she says, no, I know. And I said, well, are you coming with me? And she said, I don't know. Are you gonna marry me? 
And I said, well, I had planned on it. And she said, well, then I guess I'm coming. <laughs> and, and so I still catch hell to this day that that was my quote unquote air quotes. You can't see me, but air quotes, uh, proposal. So that's a great memory because one, it was my dream job and it led to what became my, my, I guess, proposal to my wife. Um, so there's that one. And then, um, honestly winning, winning back-to-back national championships in football while I was the SID at Northwest Missouri. And the second one being a four overtime game where we came back from 15 points down with three minutes left in the game. And, um, Bill Curry, who was doing the, uh, the color called it the, the greatest college football game he had ever witnessed. And, um, so having, having been a part of something like that, uh, from a game standpoint, from an event standpoint was pretty cool. And then right there, right behind those would be the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl here, um, here at UCF. Uh, what about on the other side of the coin? What's your biggest horror story so far in the profession? I, to be honest with you, I don't know that I have a horror story about the profession. I mean, um, there have been some some difficult moments. Like, you know, there's, hey, well, no, okay, all right. The difficult moment, horror story, however you want to put it. I mean, I mentioned that two years ago or, or three years ago now, our, our football team went 0-12 here at UCF. In, in, the, in the course of that, my athletic director left that summer, my boss left that summer, and they named our head football coach, George O'Leary at the time, the interim athletic director. So that was an interesting time frame, having your head football coach also serving as your athletic director when he had a football program to run and didn't know what to expect from him. And we knew how he ran the football team. And it was interesting to see how he would run the athletic department on top of that. And then um, you get a little ways into the season and we haven't won a game and we've lost some heartbreaking games and we're uh, lost some kids to injury and the wheels just really came off. And so then coach about halfway through the season says he's going to give up the AD role a couple of games later, resigns from the head coaching position. And uh, and that was, I don't know about a horror story, but that season was really, really hard. Uh, to, to walk into a locker room after every game and ask those guys to go and talk to the press and um, to try to continue to do our job when there was little to any hope of anything going right. Um, was was difficult, but it's a learning process and a growth and a growth process for sure. I mean, we we learned a lot about ourselves, honestly. Uh, what's one piece of advice you'd give to a student going into this profession? Get into it as soon as you can. Uh, get in as early as you can. I get a lot of people, I, and, and it's funny. Just in the last week, I've had two different um, people. One connected to UCF here, and one that that um, randomly sent me an email uh, asking about trying to get into this profession and both of them are recent graduates and I'm not going to lie to them. They're behind the eight ball in that they didn't do it as a student. So um, get involved and, and, and immerse yourself in it as quickly as you possibly can and ask questions, volunteer to do more, hang around the office, be annoying, like get to the point of, <laughs> What, like walk into that walk into that SID's office or one of the, the staff members' office 
every day if you can and go, hey, what can I help with? What can I learn? What can I do for you today? And eventually those opportunities are going to come to you and and that's where you're going to gain that experience and that's where that work ethic is going to be shown and those sorts of things because it's, it's all about um, being able to get that experience as soon as you can. Uh, what makes a good SID? Well, I just said work ethic. I think that's a big piece. Uh-huh. Um, in my mind, and I think this is a problem we have in our profession right now, um, it's, it's still a people business. Um, so people need to get out from behind their computer screens and go and talk to people in person or make a phone call or don't rely on texts and emails. Yes, they're great for communication when you don't have time or for when it's a, you know, something quick and you can give a yes, no answer or whatever. But I make a point of if I can, if I have time, I get up and I go and walk over to somebody's office and ask them that question, even if it's a yes or no question, so that they see me, that they um, have that, we have that FaceTime. It's still about relationship building. So um, in my mind, it's, it's learn how to network, learn how to build relationships, be personable, um, there's too many of us in this profession, again, who just want to hide behind the computer screen and, and be keyboard warriors and fire off emails and tweets and texts and all those things. Can't do that. Even in this day and age, it's still about people and relationships. Um, what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? I'm always trying to, to keep up with technology and the... Um, what the new thing is we want to I don't ever want to be obsolete from the standpoint of I don't want to be that old SID who's been an administrator who God forbid something happened and I lost this job and I had to go back to being a you know more boots on the ground SID that I wouldn't know how to do the job um so for me it's it's always trying to kind of stay up on what what the next social media thing is how do we how do we use our social media platforms how do I learn to do some video? What can I do from a multimedia standpoint? Um, so I guess for me, what, what, do I, what do I try to learn or whatever your question was is I'm always trying to learn and stay at least, if not on the cutting edge, at least ahead of the pack or in that lead group just to know what's going on within this, um, within this profession. Uh, work-life balance, what do you do to have fun? I'm a big pro wrestling guy. Pro wrestling is my uh, is my vice, and I'm kind of fortunate that I live in uh, what is probably one of the capitals of, of quote unquote sports entertainment in this country. So uh, I get to I, I went to WrestleMania last year because it was here in Orlando. We uh-huh. go to we go to NXT tapings, which is WWE's developmental uh, promotion, which is based here in Orlando. Uh, we go to those shows a lot. I watch wrestling at home a lot, uh, much to my wife's chagrin. Um, that's probably my 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 one my number one hobby. And then uh, my daughter's in uh, in dance. She's 11 years old, and um, we we do a lot of hanging out at the dance studio. And just last night was it's it's daddy daughter dance week. So I actually did about three fourths of her uh, three fourths of her dance class, her jazz class, with her last night, and made a fool of myself in front of all of her little friends. So uh, whether it's going to dance competitions or hauling her back and forth to practice, um, between that and trying to get my wrestling fixed, that, that covers a lot of it. <laughs> um, 
Next time someone's in Orlando, and this you have a reason to be because you have to be in two uh, two years. We got Vegas, then yeah. Orlando again. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, what's your restaurant or bar recommendation? Oh man, well if you're coming for the convention, you're going to be way over on the on the uh, other side of town. So um, over there, quite honestly, I don't know a, a ton of them. They're all more chain type stuff. But if you're going to be in in town to come to a game at UCF or be in this part of town. Um, I'm a big barbecue guy. I'm from the Midwest grew and spent a lot of time near Kansas City. Uh, we've got a really great barbecue restaurant, Four Rivers. Uh, probably the best barbecue you'll find in, in uh, Orlando, if not in Florida. Um, let's see. What else? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big pizza guy. There's a, there's a place right near campus called Lazy Moon that does slices that are as big as your head. Um, gosh. That's just off the top of my head. Those are a couple. If uh, it's funny because in the summertime, with in my old, in our old offices, we used to make a we had an entire whiteboard where we would try to write down every restaurant that we could within uh, within a certain radius of UCF, so we could use it as a as a, we'd try to cross them off throughout the course of the summer. Hmm. Um, we're foodies around here, but those are the two that kind of jumped to mind right off the top. Uh, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, maybe had any questions, uh, what would be the best way to do it? Any any way you want. You can hit me on Twitter, at A.G. Seeley, A-G-S-E-E-L-E-Y. You can send me an email. My email address is on our website at ucfnights.com. My phone number is there, too. Um, I'm, I'm happy to answer emails. I'll answer the phone. Um, again, tweet at me, DM me, whatever. Any possible way that you can in the year 2018 reach out to somebody, I'm open to that, <laughs> and more than happy to, more than happy to try to um, help somebody learn more about whether it's Cosida, learn more about this profession, get better in this profession, network, any of those things. Happy to help. Andy, thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it. It was fun. Guys, that's all I have for you today. We'll be back next week with Rainier Perez from ASA College in Miami. Uh, if that sounds familiar, one of our guests, uh, Lamar Carter, was one of our very first guests. I think it was episode six or something, six or seven or something like that. Uh, worked at ASA College in Brooklyn. This is actually the uh, the other branch of that. So uh, another conversation I, I had a ton of fun with. So, um, uh, But be sure to leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you follow us on social media at Sports Infocast on Facebook and Twitter. I want to thank you all for listening, and we hope to catch you all in the next episode.